Turn, if you would, to the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. I'll try not to uh, hack and cough too much during the uh, lesson. It's been a pretty, uh, rather exhausting week around our house with the uh, getting ready for the play. We were we had rehearsals from six till eleven every night this week. We did open on Friday. It wasn't a total disaster. It was pretty good. Only broke one piece of furniture, and when some young man did a dance and jumped right on top of it. The audience loved it. <laughs> they want to do it every night. Oh, well. We're working through the book of Proverbs. Last week we discussed the fact that wisdom is a multi-generational thing. Uh, parents are to pass it on to their children, grandparents to their grandkids. Um, it is wisdom that is handed down generation to generation. Uh, we talked about the fact that there are those who entice us to sin. It is interesting that the book of Proverbs, which is going to talk about the path of wisdom, begins in chapter 1 with this warning that there are going to be those who try to pull you off of the path. Before we discuss the path, we're going to discuss the warnings to not get pulled off of the path. And we talked about those who enticed us, and we discussed a little bit the fact that sometimes we are the ones doing the enticing. Maybe it's not as blatant as we saw in uh, the first chapter of Proverbs where someone comes up to you and says, hey, let's go kill somebody. Maybe it's not that blatant. But throughout life there are subtle messages that drive us away from the path of wisdom. And then we talked about, obviously, that those who follow the path of foolishness will destroy themselves. That is the theme of the book of Proverbs. The path of wisdom leads to life. The path of foolishness leads to death. So, we will pick up today in verse 20 of chapter 1. I, I put on the lesson that we were going to make it to verse 33. In actual fact, I think we're going to talk about four verses, and then I think we'll read through the others real quick. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. What we have here is the beginning of a picture that goes throughout the book where wisdom is personified. Wisdom is given the female voice that stands and cries out, Come follow me. Come this way. Don't be distracted. Wisdom is actively working to get people to pay attention to her. This is very important because many people believe that wisdom is some obscure, esoteric thing that you only find if you go sit out in the desert or go up on the mountain and ponder your navel for 30 years, then maybe you'll find wisdom. That wisdom is hidden somehow. In reality, wisdom is available to us. Wisdom is available to each of us. But there's a problem. We don't listen. 
We see this throughout scriptures, and this is rather important, so I want to re-emphasize it. If you remember over in Romans chapter 1, where it says the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen, but humans, us, choose to ignore them. Because there are lots of people today who believe that the things of God are, as we said about wisdom, obscure and hidden from us. The reality is God is not hidden. We don't want to see him. Wisdom is not hidden. We just don't want to hear her. Wisdom is calling out to us, come follow me. The problem is not with wisdom. The problem is not with God. The problem is with our ears. And I guess the real problem is with our heart that tells our ears to listen to something else. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. We see three different places, at least three different places, that wisdom is calling out. It's calling out in the street, in the public squares, and at the gateway of the city. The street is where we live. That's where your home is. That's where you raise your family. That's where you do your daily business. And wisdom is there wanting to tell you how to do the things in that environment. The public square is where we meet people. Every day, most of us have interaction with some number of people. Some of us have interactions with a few. Some of us have interactions with hundreds of people on a daily basis. And wisdom is there telling us how to have those interactions. The third place that is mentioned is the gateways of the city. Sometimes we forget that in the Old Testament days, the gateway of the city was where the elders, the leaders of the community would meet to make decisions about what happened within the community. You remember the sermon several weeks ago where David's son, who was rebelling against David, sat at the city gate and basically undermined David's authority. Because that was the place where people would come with their problems. We see um, Ruth and Boaz when Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, and yet there was someone else in line to inherit the property. He goes to the elders at the city gate, and that's where they make the decisions. Wisdom is there calling out for us to make decisions for the community that follow the path of wisdom and not the path of foolishness. In all of these places, in all of these places, wisdom is calling out to us. Wisdom wants to be heard. But there's an interesting phrase in here, verse 21, at the head of the noisy streets. That word noisy, one modern commentator just refers to it as hubbub, just noise. Just everyday noise and activity that gets in the way of us hearing wisdom. 
How many of you feel like we live in a noisy world? How many of you think we live in a world that doesn't want us to have a moment of quiet? I remember in the book, uh, The Closing of the American Mind, where he talks about college students, and amongst other things, he says, college students today usually have very few serious conversations. And the reason they have very few serious conversations is they're never in a quiet place. They go to a party. The music is just horrendously loud. I remember going to a, um, actually it was an electronic warfare conference several years ago. And they had a mixer one night. And I was talking to this individual from Australia, I guess. And he was a fascinating guy. He'd actually been involved in the Falkland Wars. And I just thought it was a horrible shame that because of the noise, I had to stand up and talk to him like this. I'm going, we could have a wonderful conversation if they turn off the... But the reality is we like the noise. Why do we like the noise? Now, you personally may not like the noise. Huh? It drowns out our thoughts. The noise keeps us from realizing our foolishness. We hide things. It's so much easier to just put on this background noise. And when I say noise, I'm talking, yes, actual noise that comes in your ears. But I'm talking about all the other stuff of life. All the stuff that just keeps us going so fast that we don't ever sit down and think, what would God have us to do? What is wisdom telling me to do right now? And that's what we're going to talk about in the book of Proverbs. If nothing else, we're going to spend 45 minutes every Sunday listening to what wisdom has to tell us about how we ought to live our lives. Wisdom is there. Wisdom is talking to us. Wisdom wants us to follow the right path. There's no problem with wisdom. There's no problem with God. The problem is with us. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out, in the gateways of the city, she makes her speech, and she begins her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? Remember our discussion. The simple, as a, compared to the fool, the simple are just the naive. They're the ones who just don't know. The fool is the one who is actively rejecting the path of wisdom. It's like, there it is, and I'm going to fight against it. The simple, normally associated with the young, but not necessarily, but normally associated with the young, are simply those who don't know. And the question is, to the simple, how long will you be content? How long will you be happy following your simple ways? You know, let's face it, sometimes being naive is a whole lot more fun than knowing the truth. I mean, just face it. 
there was a Dilbert cartoon a year or so ago where they, they, they pester the boss and they say, tell us the truth. And the boss says, okay, I'm going to fire half of you and we're going to determine which half by which of you can beat the other half to death. And one of the guys says, I liked it better when we didn't know the truth. And that's the way a lot of people are. If I don't know, if I am in fact the ostrich that sticks my head in the sand and am unaware of the problems of the world, the problems won't get me. And you know, as a strategy sometimes that might work, but probably not for long. Wisdom comes to the simple and says, how long will you be content with your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? We've moved away from the simple and we've moved to the fool. And as we'll see with those who are following the path of wisdom, there are several words that are used to apply to them. When we talk about the fool, there are also several words, and there are some commentators who believe this is several grades on the path of foolishness, one of which, maybe the top of which, is the mocker. Not only does the mocker not like wisdom, the mocker is going to make fun of wisdom every chance they get. Now, I don't want to make big, broad, bold statements, but I'll do it anyway. We live in a society that loves mockers. We lo live in a society of people on TV, radio, in everyday life who enjoy mocking the things of God. It's not just, okay, I'll leave that alone because I personally am not interested. I am going to make fun of it and abuse it every chance I get. We are to the point, I'm not making this up, where magazine articles that I read talk about Christian candidates for public office, and they basically say, do we really want a Christian telling our country what to do? That's the sentence that's in them. And I'm going, well, yeah. But they're writing to an audience that assumes that's a stupid thing. You wouldn't want a Christian running this country. And I'm going, yeah, I would. But they want to mock the truth. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Remember back to verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we discussed at the time, we're not talking about knowledge in general because fools do know certain things. They know that 1 plus 1 equals 2 and 2 plus 2 equals 4. They know to drive on the right side of the road most of the time. They know certain things. But the scripture in the book of Proverbs, when it talks about knowledge, is talking about knowledge of the path of wisdom. Knowledge about how to live your life skillfully and in a righteous manner. And the fool doesn't know that. Not only do they not know it, they hate that knowledge. And that's the thing that has fascinated me for years. And we talked about this several weeks ago. They actually hate it. 
They want nothing to do with it. They're going to mock it. They're going to make fun of it. And they're going to try to overcome it every opportunity they get. We discuss this in the context of we need to not be surprised that there are those actively working against us and others walking the path of wisdom. We shouldn't be surprised at that. We just should accept that as the way life is. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will you mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, this is wisdom calling out to the people, us. If you had responded to my rebuke, the rest of the chapter is a discussion of the negative impact that comes about because we did not listen to the rebuke of wisdom. What is a rebuke? Some translations say reproof. Pardon? Criticism. Correction. How many of you, just out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you were ever involved in a sport that had a coach? Okay? Most people at some point in their lives were involved in some activity that had a coach. What was the function of the coach? Come on, this is simple. To teach and to lead, to direct, to train us, to motivate us, to show us when we're doing right, and to show us when we're doing wrong. Now, if they were a great coach, and that was actually my second question, but I decided not to ask. I mean, of the coaches that you had, how many of you had a coach that you would have said was a phenomenal coach? They're out there. They really are. I actually swam in high school. That was my sport. And the first year I had a coach that was really good. She knew what she was doing. She had done this. She was good. But she decided it wasn't worth the extra money. So she didn't do it the second year. And the second year they scrambled to find somebody. And they found the Latin teacher. To, to <laughs> he knew nothing about swimming. Absolutely nothing about swimming. And we didn't do very well. After that, they got some guy who was basically the school hall monitor, the bouncer, who had at least been on a swimming team at some point in his life, and he did it. And he wasn't very good either. So there are good coaches, and there's not-so-good coaches. But the good coaches, the great coaches, will come alongside you and say, you know, you just did that. What were the results of that? Well, I missed the ball. Well, you missed the ball because your left foot was in the wrong place. And you go, wow, I never would have thought of that. Why don't you go out there and do it a hundred more times until that left foot is where that left foot ought to be? Now, what is your response when the coach tells you that? Who do you think you are telling me what to do? That wouldn't go very far. Do you think you're better than I am? That wouldn't go very far. 
life, wisdom, is walking beside us, and wisdom wants to tell us, you know, that thing you just did? How did, how did it turn out for you? Well, it was pretty lousy, actually. Why, why did it turn out lousy? Well, I don't know. Well, let me give you a suggestion. Your hand was in the wrong place. Your eyes were in the wrong place. Your eyes should have been on your wife, and your eyes were on that woman down the street. Your heart should have been on the things of God, but your heart was on how to get more stuff. Your feet should have been taking you to a place where you could have served somebody, and instead your feet were taking you to some place to satisfy your lust. And wisdom comes along beside us and tells us this is the way you ought to go. And how do we respond to wisdom? Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm my own person. I am a master of my own fate. I am in control. And wisdom says, if you had listened to my rebuke, but you didn't. Here is the fascinating thing, okay? If I have a coach, we know he's the coach. He or she, you know, has a coach written on their shirt, okay? We know they're the coach. And if they're a good coach, we know that they're better at whatever they're doing than we are, okay? It's a position, and we are the Coach E, Coach Er, Coach whatever. We are the one being coached, and we know it. Where do the rebukes come from in life? Friends, enemies, teachers, parents, co-workers, bosses, the neighbors, nature, bad situations. All of these things are rebuking us, and we go, but you know, my boss isn't a very good guy. Who wants to listen to him? Who wants to listen to that rebuke from that person because that person's a jerk? The reality is God uses all of these people, all of these things to rebuke us and to turn us down the right path. God sometimes uses unrighteous people to show the righteous people that the righteous people are going the wrong way. I've told you before the quote that Rich Mullins said. We had gone to hear him one time. And he said, God used the Assyrians to punish the nation of Israel because they were going astray. Then God punished the Assyrians because they enjoyed it too much. Think about that. God will use whatever it takes. God will use a donkey to speak to Balaam if that's what it takes to get Balaam to go on the right path. Obviously, 
and I say this, but I don't really believe it, obviously if God himself came to us and said, Kyle, you're going the wrong way, I would go, yes, sir, and which way do you want me to go? And I say that mockingly, because in reality, most of us would ignore him too. Maybe we wouldn't. Those people out there would. But God uses instruments to mold us. And he uses situations of life to take us and rebuke us kindly sometimes, viciously other times, to tell us that we're going down the wrong path. You go out in the morning and you pay no attention to the weatherman and you put on your short sleeve shirt and you go to work and it's 20 degrees. And nature is telling you, you stupid person, you should have put on a coat. It's not that hard. Wisdom is calling aloud at every situation to tell us which path to go. There was actually an interesting article in the New Yorker a couple of weeks ago written by a surgeon, and he decided to start looking at coaching. Not coaching as in high school and college, but coaching for professionals. And he talked, about, he talked to teachers who do coaching and to musicians who have coaches throughout their life. And it's not like the coach is necessarily the boss because in the case of a professional musician, the professional musician hires the coach. But what the coach does is stands outside and looks and says, you're going the wrong way. And finally, this physician, surgeon, writing this article, he went and got a retired professor of his to come coach him. And he said, he showed up in my, you know, in the surgery room. And he sat over on the side. And I said, I did this rather simple surgery. It all went perfectly well. The guy had three pages of finely written notes about things that I could do better. Your elbow's in the wrong place. That curtain is in the wrong place. And he said, you know what? He was right. That is listening to an outside voice telling us we're going the wrong direction. We are going to see this throughout the book of Proverbs. That's why it is so important. We are going to look at the idea of listening to a rebuke. And I will tell you right now, Me personally, forget you, me personally, I cannot stand it when somebody tells me I did something wrong. I mean, let's face it, I cannot stand it. And I believe that is probably the number one hindrance of keeping us from moving further down the path of wisdom. The implication that I'm an adult human being, therefore no one has the right to tell me what to do. We do these plays. We have tech week. That is the final week of rehearsals. And every night after six hours of rehearsal, the director sends out eight pages of notes. And it's by name. You did this right. Or you did this wrong. 
And I'm not making this up. A year ago when I did this, the first time I saw my name on that piece of paper, my first thought was, who are you to tell me what I did? There's a little embarrassment. The world knows. There's a little arrogance, a little pride. But you know what? She's the director. It's her play. That's what she's supposed to do. Yet we fight against it every chance we get. I might add, and this would be an interesting discussion if we had another four hours, part of this is caused by the fact that we really believe that all truth is relative. We really do. And if all truth is relative then my truth is just as good as your truth. And if you want to tell me that I'm not living up to your truth, well, that's your problem. I hate to tell you this. Truth is not relative. Wisdom is standing in the street, in the public spaces, at the gates, telling us, yelling to us, come this way. And wisdom is using all of our surroundings to guide us in the right path if only we will listen to her. Now, your enemy tells you something. You stupid jerk, you did that wrong. Okay? And enemies will do that. How do we know that really is from God and not just our enemy being a jerk? Well, we go to the Scripture. The problem is there are things in the Scripture that don't really get into our heart until somebody points out to us that you're not going that direction. You're not doing what you ought to do. It is the atheist non-Christian who stands up to us and says, you're not acting like a Christian. And we go, who are you to tell us that? When in reality, maybe We're not acting like a Christian. Constructive criticism. But you see, sometimes it's destructive criticism. Go through the Bible and find all the people and things that God used to turn his people onto the right path. Sometimes they were godly people. God used Paul to correct Peter at the church at Galatia, you're going the wrong way. God used Nathan to tell David, you sin big time. But sometimes he uses bad pharaohs and bad kings and bad this to tell the people of God, you're going the wrong way. God uses whatever God wants to use whenever he wants to use it. And the problem is, we don't listen. Started with the fall. We didn't listen then. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Isn't that interesting? What's our natural tendency? To rebuke the mocker. Really? I mean, that's what we want to do, right? They're the ones that need it the most. It's like a pastor I read one time. He was saying that his kids were very well behaved, and they would go to his parents' house. 
and he would discipline his kids. And the parents would go, don't, don't, you don't need to discipline them. Your kids are well-behaved. And he goes, why do you think they're well-behaved? Think about that for a moment. Because they're disciplined. We want to discipline the mocker, but the mocker is not going to be interested in it. The wise person is the one who listens to the rebuke. A, wa- a wise son heeds his father's instructions, but a mocker will not listen to a rebuke. Here is the definition of whether you're on the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. You can beat a fool till you're blue in the face, and it won't do any good. Flog a mocker, and the simple will learn prudence. I actually like that verse. Notice it doesn't say the mocker will learn anything. But the simple who are watching will go, ooh, I don't want to go that way. Rebuke a discerning man, and he will gain knowledge. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is, is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. And a man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. And that is what we see in the rest of chapter 1 of the book of Proverbs. Let's keep reading. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. There is the promise. Wisdom is telling us if we had chosen to listen to the rebuke, she would have given us everything we need. But, (laughs) but since you rejected me when I called... And no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand. Since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock you, mock when calamity overtakes you. That doesn't sound very nice. It's like, nah, 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 nah. But it's really not that attitude. You know, think about it for a while. Um, Psalms 2-4 talks about God laughing at the nations of the world who think that they can thwart his will. You know, it's just kind of like, are you kidding me? Do you really think you could do that? And that's what wisdom is doing here. Do you really think you can do your own thing, walk down the path of foolishness, and not have any consequences? Do you really think that? Well, yeah, we really think that. And wisdom just shakes her head and says, gosh, you've got to be kidding. You know, it's like, you know, your kids come to you and they say, I'm going to do such and such. And you know, that is the stupidest thing in the world. And sometimes you just have to laugh and go, do you really think that's going to work? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Think about it. Wisdom is sitting here going, I wanted you to go this path. I told you to go this path. 
I did what I, it took to drive you this way, and you chose to do something else. You've got to be kidding me. Do you think there's not going to be consequences for going that way? I, will, I, in turn, will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overcome you, then, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways. You can choose your path, but you can't choose the consequences. Having chosen the path, you've chosen the consequences. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. I think I've mentioned in here before, years ago I read a book by uh, Dr. Laura. And somebody asked her, when you appear on interviews, what is the question that you get asked most often? on the show. That's the question that she's asked. What question gets asked the most often? And she says, the one that gets asked the most often is basically this form. I did something I shouldn't have done. How do I get out of the consequences? I did something that I knew was wrong. How do I get out of the consequences? And that's what we're seeing right here. The fool refused to listen to wisdom. And they started down the path, and all of a sudden, hell fell on them. Either literally, figuratively, in whatever way you want it. The consequences of their action came crashing down upon them. And their first question is, how do I get out of the consequences? And wisdom looks at them and says you're not going to get out of the consequences. Because you hated the knowledge that would have kept you from getting here in the first place. Now, in the painting that we see in the book of Proverbs, in the painting that we see in the book of Proverbs, we see very stark contrast. And sometimes you get the picture that the fool is the fool, will always be the fool, and will die the fool. And there is no hope ever the end. And that's the way the picture is painted. Ultimately, for the person who continues to follow the path of foolishness, that is the end result. But sometimes in our life, the consequences falling on us are the rebukes that we need to tell us we're going the wrong way. Wisdom is not going to get us out of the consequences. But wisdom is ready to tell us, next time, next time, don't go that way. Don't go down that path. 
you see now the consequences of it. But if all we're interested in is getting out of the consequences, we're not interested in the knowledge that wisdom is here to tell us. And we'll just do one foolish thing after another. We do a foolish thing, and then we do a foolish thing to get out of the consequences of that foolish thing. Then we do a bigger foolish thing to get out of the consequences of that. <coughs> yes? Wisdom is willing to help us with the consequences, but they don't go away. Consequences are real. We sometimes believe that if God loved us, we could do whatever we wanted to do, and there would not be any consequences. One of these days, as soon as I get enough courage, we're going to have a lesson about the relationship of the path of wisdom to grace. Because we have in the back of our minds that grace means there are no consequences. And that's not true. Grace is the fact that God sends wisdom to yell in the streets to tell us the way we ought to live our lives. That's grace in and of itself. God tells us, don't go that way. And what do we do? We go rushing that way and we're shocked that there's a consequence for it. Chuck Colson would be a good example of someone who suffered the consequences of being as dumb as to listen to God. And his life turned around. God, wisdom, will use the consequences to accomplish great things if we return to the path of wisdom. If all we do is go from one foolish activity to the next foolish activity, we are doomed. And the key is recognizing that it is God who is rebuking us and telling us to go a different way. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. Being naive is better than being a fool, but just a little bit. We can accept simplicity, simpleness, simple-mindedness in a five-year-old. But when you see a 35-year-old who is clueless, you say there's something wrong. And I'm not talking about people with mental problems, etc. Normal, healthy human being who is naive at 35 has done something wrong. They have passed the point where being simple is excusable. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Sometimes that actually bothers people, that last verse. Because... To some people, that carries the idea that if I'm doing what I ought to do, if I'm following the path of wisdom, then I will be on a bed of roses and everything will go well. 
And we've had this discussion in here numerous times. There are those who believe that when I become a Christian and I follow Christ, nothing bad is going to happen to me. Well, we just finished the book of 2 Corinthians, and we looked at the life of Paul, and we looked at the fact that Paul got beat to a pulp regularly, which is why the church at Corinth said Paul must be doing something wrong. But if you had asked Paul, who is watching over you? Who is taking care of you? Who is protecting you? He would have said, as he said in Romans chapter 8, who can separate me from the love of God? And then he has that list. Powers, principality, angels, things past, things present. Nothing can separate. He knew he had the assurance that he was taken care of and that nothing could ultimately harm him. They could beat him to a pulp. Paul was a little weird. He seemed to relish the fact they beat him to a pulp because he got to share in the sufferings of Christ. Hmm, kind of weird. But ultimately, he knew who was taking care of him. We're going to talk in the book of Proverbs about what happens when you follow the path of foolishness and what happens when you follow the path of wisdom. The path of wisdom is always better than the path of foolishness. That doesn't mean you're going to be richer on one or the other, necessarily. It doesn't mean you're going to be better looking on one or the other, necessarily. But ultimately, faith tells us that it is always better to do things God's way. Ultimately. Ultimately, God wins. And ultimately, he will protect us and take care of us and give us safety. That may mean we die a martyr's death and he takes us to heaven. Guess what? That's winning. That's not losing. In the eyes of the world, that's losing. In the eyes of God, that's a good answer. The eyes of faith teach us to see and value things differently. In fact, there's a verse that in Proverbs, I'll need to look it up, that says something like the wicked man, the, the, the wise woman gets good things and the wicked man gets only money. And you go, wait a minute, I'll take the money. But what's the implication? That's not the highest value. That is not the highest value value wisdom is calling out to anyone who will listen but it is the noise and distractions of this world that keep us from hearing the voice of wisdom it is not wisdom's fault listening to the rebukes of wisdom will lead us to more wisdom it is dare i say foolish to think that we have all the wisdom None of us. I don't care what your age is. I don't care how long you've been in a church. I don't, it is foolish to think that we have all the wisdom. Every one of us need more wisdom. Every one of us need to ask ourselves, 
constantly, is that the path of wisdom or is that the path of foolishness? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace that tells us the path on which we are to walk. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.